Welcome and thanks for joining us at The Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen. The Bread of Life is a program of the International Disciple-Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions church fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. If you go to our website, breadoflifeboise.org, you'll find links to our radio archives and those taking you to our overseas ministry. Your support of this broadcast helps us carry this work forward. We've been considering what deception is and where it's found, and we have discerned that it is found near the truth, that it rises from within more often than it rises from without. We've also determined that it rises where faith is weak and where sin is not confessed but hid. We'll continue our consideration today, and then we'll seek remedies for deception. Strip it all away before God and those things and confess it and let, his, let him come and wash you and cleanse you. And What God will do is he'll not only forgive you, but he'll begin to guard your heart against deception. If you think you're in the last days, and I think you should think that, right? If you see things that are beginning to parallel what the Bible's talking about what happened in the last days, and I think we are, there's a sign for you here. You better do everything you can to guard yourself against deception. Against deception. Here's one other place I think where deception rises up. It occurs in the place where God is not acknowledged and where God's answer for our great need is not received. Hebrews 3.12 speaks of the unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Whenever we're not acknowledging God's presence and wherever we're not responding to God's answer, we bring ourselves into deception. There is, in our day and age, a lot of fracturing and anxiety going on in our society right now. And it really is, and it's, it's universal. It's happening because, to a large extent, how people are reacting to this pandemic that's taken place. And it's being acknowledged. You go and you'll listen to just some secular individual who's trying to sort out what's taking place, and everyone acknowledges this high, extreme level of fear and anxiety. Let me tell you what happens when you're, what they're afraid of. In the long run, what they're afraid of. They're afraid of dying. <laughs> they're afraid of dying. And you know what else they're afraid of? They're afraid of in dying. If they only believe that the curtain goes out and everything's done and everything's forgotten and there's no problem, that's not what they're afraid of. The person is afraid of death. The Spirit of God is there reminding them of what they're to encounter after death. And subtly and subconsciously, they're afraid of judgment. They're afraid of judgment. God the Spirit is pressing upon them a concern. In the face of imminent death or suggested death or possible death, you're reminded of your sins. You're reminded of your lack of righteousness. And in the light of these things, you're also reminded of a judgment that you're going to face. And these are the things that are pressing upon the conscience of people in the face of the pandemic that we're having right now. But what's happening is, when men are afraid, they go and they try to come to a solution or an answer for these things, and they don't go to God for an answer to these things. They come and they think, I've got to find some answer for my fear of judgment, something that will placate my fears and take away my fears. And so they look for responses that they feel are righteous. They begin to add up their righteous responses. And they plan out what it is they're going to do based on what is righteous or what they think is right and good in order to feel good about themselves. And this doesn't just happen before pandemics. It happens in all kinds of situations. It happens when, though, major distresses become upon nations. All of a sudden, you'll find when nations are brought under major distresses that they all come to a uniformed idea of what they ought to do because they find out what they think is the righteous response. And they want to be righteous 
because they want to escape judgment, but it's their own prescriptions, it's their own ideas, and then they want to impose the ideas on anyone who doesn't accept them. And actually, they're not even open to the suggestion that their responses are good and right because it's, they're less concerned about whether they're good and right than that it demonstrates to themselves or brings comfort to them that they're righteous. They're writing in their own righteousness. I think that's what we're facing today. It's people who are afraid and people who are in fear of dying and people who are afraid, rightly afraid of judgment and individuals who are finding their solutions and their answers not in the gospel of Jesus Christ, not in his saving work, not in a savior who's died for their sins and risen again to give him his righteousness. They're doubling down in the nature of man. They're doubling down in the belief that they can find their own righteousness by their own actions. And what I'm saying to you is this leads to deception. And if we build our argument about those things and we engage those people at that level, we're giving in to the points at which they're being deceived. Instead, there's an answer for these things. Let's, let's, let's go to the next one. So deception occurs in the place where God is not acknowledged or where God's answer for our great needs are not received. Men seek to find the answer and devising it in answers in their own righteousness. How is deception disarmed then? And this is the last question. It is disarmed through the gospel. Deception is disarmed through the gospel. We gain hold of good news, and having gained that good news, we find God's relief and God's deliverance. And God's good news always comes to us on the backside of bad news. We're sinners. And in the moment in which we stop defending ourselves, in the moment in which we stop trying to present our own righteousness, in the moment when we stop trying to achieve our own preparation for God's judgment, when we recognize there's nothing that we can do to escape God's judgment but to confess that we're sinners and that we're in need of what only he alone can give us, in that moment the gospel comes pouring in and we find the ground at which we're protected from deception. Take your Bible and go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And let me read to you verses 6 through 9. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Here's what John writes. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When we begin to take the gospel to our hearts, we do so by confessing our sinfulness. And in this simple act, it separates us out from the dangers of deception. When I am no longer trying to defend myself, trying to situate a sense of my righteousness in the positions that I take, trying to justify myself one way or another in the midst of the social interactions we have and in the midst of what different people are staking out as the right and righteous response, when instead I say, I'm just a sinner who deserves God's judgment, but I am delivered by his righteousness alone. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives me any right standing in the world and before God and before judgment and death. When it happens, I begin to remove myself to fall and pray to the deception that short-circuits the gospel. Then, in the gospel, we take up the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We don't lift up our goodness. We don't lift up our right opinions and our right ideas. But we accept only the goodness of Jesus Christ covering us. 
The gospel, when completely bowed to, removes from us the need to establish our own righteousness. It reveals only that we're sinners in need of mercy. And when you live your life as a sinner in need of mercy and saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone, you begin to mute the deceptive voices that appeal to your own self-justifying, self-serving, self-vindicating ways. What though people don't understand me? What if I'm disagreed with? What if my position is at odds with the community in the church or the community outside of the church? I'm right with Jesus because I'm a sinner and I just need his grace. And this keeps us from being used as puppets or ploys to just all the deceptive voices around us. Deception is defeated at the point of the gospel. Here's the second thing. We find that deception is defeated through a personal knowledge of God and his word. Remember in Mark 12, the Lord Jesus spoke of the error or deception of the Sadducees by saying you're greatly error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Nothing will answer deception better than a deep, personal relationship, walk, and knowledge of God. And no one can go into that relationship without a consistent conversation in which they're in God's word, reading God's word, listening to his voice. To know him, you must know his word. And in knowing his word, you need to know more and more about him. So saturate yourself in the language of the word of God, revealing to you the life of God, and it protects you from deception. Paul is aware of the looming crisis as he writes Timothy. This is in 2 Timothy, again, where he speaks of the last days. And he encourages Timothy to begin a pattern of ministry that will be a defense against the deception of the last days. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, you remember Paul first reminds Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed, it's inspired of God, and that it's profitable for doctrine and for proof and for correction and for instruction in righteousness. And immediately after this, in verse 2 of chapter 4, he commands Timothy this way, you preach the word in season and out of season. Let the word of God and the knowledge that it brings of myself and my will be the thing that guards you against deception. Here's one last thing, and it's very similar to it, and I just give it as close. We guard ourselves against deception through a personal knowledge and intimate reliance upon the character of God. A personal knowledge and intimate reliance upon the character of God. James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. James writes to the people and says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like a shifting shadow. If you only knew what God was like, if you only knew what God was like, and you had a deep, personal, growing knowledge of him, you would guard yourself against the deception. Deception is always somehow curtailed to whatever the prevalent wisdom of the moment is. Truth is eternal. Therefore, it is exceedingly relevant. It's the truth of who God is. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray. We pray for the body of Christ in the world today. We pray, dear God, that we might not be distracted by the upheaval that is all around us and not distracted by the solutions that men cry out from one corner to the other, nor to the pressures that are placed upon us externally and coercively. We pray instead, dear God, that we might be guarded by a supreme and profound confidence of what you've accomplished at the cross on our sakes and where you met us. 
You met us as sinners. You met us with no claim of righteousness in ourselves. Oh God, guard us against somehow defending ourselves, of uh, espousing our own wisdom. Here's the wisdom. I'm a sinner and I'm in need of your mercy. I'm in need of your mercy, oh God. And I found it, and it found me at the cross of Jesus Christ where I received a righteousness that is not my own, the righteousness of Jesus Christ covering me and washing me and keeping me. Oh God, let your church come back to the heart of the gospel and live in it courageously and boldly. Let them live in it so that we might have peace. That we might have peace even, Lord, when we're not, not being pushed along by the spirit and the fear of the age. May all we do be an act of faith. You've told us whatever is not of faith is sin. And oh God, our faith resides in this great saving work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let that be where we find our position, our standing, and we'll give you glory for that. And we ask your God that this might stir up within the body of Christ a, a greater eagerness to be in your word consistently, a greater eagerness to enjoy your presence, to walk with you and talk with you and commune with you. Dear God, let us know the fellowship of your Holy Spirit in these conversations, guiding, directing us, and giving us. I want to encourage you to go to Amazon.com and order a new book that I've written called Saving Evangelicals. Saving Evangelicals. There's not a more important time for us to consider the deception of a false assurance of faith. Go to Amazon.com and ask for the book Saving Evangelicals. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and Church Partnership Evangelism. For more information, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, the Lord bless you.